Cue the trumpets. Marcus Stroman was dominant. Edwin Diaz shut the door, and the Mets took two of three from the Rockies to improve to seven and four on the season. We'll debrief the series, the Grominance, Nimmo, starting pitching, and look ahead to the Mets series against the Cubs. And our guest this week is an absolute legend in the movie industry. It's iconic actress and Mets fan, Glenn Close. So get your popcorn ready and join us for a brand new episode of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh. Welcome to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post, Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio, at Figgy NY. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. But please go into Apple right now, Apple Podcasts on your phone, rate us five stars, write a nice review. It's that easy. Joining us later in the show, Figgy, we got a goodie. We got a legend. She, she even interviewed you at the end of the interview. She asked you questions. So she took my job in the process. I know you were happy about that. <laughs> You've seen her as Cruella DeVille in 101 Dalmatians, Dangerous Liaisons, Fatal Attraction. She's been in every movie. And she will not be ignored. And that is a Mets fan and an iconic actress, Glenn Close. She'll join us later in the show but figgy i'm in a good mood today i mean i guess having glenn on puts me in a good mood but when the mets win you're just in a good mood like sunday was just a good day i mean the yankees fans are just crying at the fact that they have the worst record in the american league for the first time since like 1968 the mets are now seven and four they win in colorado the knicks win a classic in overtime but most importantly the mets won two of three the pitching was great marcus stroman was sensational and the Mets are in first place. You have to be in good spirits if you're a Mets fan right now. No, there's really not much you can complain about, even though I will find some stuff to talk about that is not up to par. But all that matters is the team is winning, right? It's not an individual game. There's guys that are playing for big contracts that haven't lived up to the hype as of yet. But the one guy who has been living up to the hype is Marcus Stroman. He has been talking the talk all offseason for almost two years now. When he opted out for COVID, he has stepped into that number two role and has filled those shoes very, very well thus far this season. And one of the most challenging places to pitch in on the planet Earth. Coors Field made it look easy, really did. Had all his pitches working, moved the ball around the strike zone was highly unpredictable, had the stutters, the pauses, the quick pitches, had it all working, and then even showed off the gold glove on that play behind his back. The throw left you wanting more, but he backed up a step, caught that ball behind his back, and got rid of it as quick as he could and got Fuentes out by a step right there. And it's a gold glove caliber play made by a guy who has actually won a gold glove, and he's right now, he's feeling himself in a major way, and I think we all are too. And he pointed to the dugout. He said, that's an effing gold glove. He looked at his glove. He did throw us <laughs> a 24-bouncer to first base that led Pete Alonzo having heart palpitations like Knicks fans in the fourth quarter of the game Sunday. But nonetheless, he got the job done, and Edwin Diaz closed the door. Edwin Diaz scared us. He gave us the Alonzo morning gif when, uh, when the ball was caught at the warning track. Uh, after that, he was like, hmm, okay, 
oh, I'll take that. And he got the out. And then James McCann, we have to talk about Figgy because the Mets starting pitching has been great. They have a catcher that could throw guys out at second. He shut the door. Obviously, it was reviewed, but the review showed he got it. Lindor puts the tag on. But how he's working with pitchers is seems to be light years better than what we saw from Wilson Ramos. There's some kind of connection there, and that has to play a factor, right? You pitch, you've had catchers that you might have been more comfortable with. Can you take us through what McCann has meant so far to this rotation, which is dazzling? You talk about Stroman. DeGrom we'll talk about in a few minutes. He's just always good. Walker's been great. Lucchese was the one that just wasn't great. Um, But otherwise, the rotation, Peterson's been good. So there has to be some kind of reason behind that. And I would figure James McCann is is a big part of that, along with probably Jeremy Hefner, the pitching coach as well. Yeah, I think once he signed and kind of the speculation was, oh, all right, we're going to pass on Real Muto. This is our guy. Um, I'm pretty sure most of the pitchers had to kind of look him up and see what was the deal with McCann. Why would they pass up a Real Muto if they could afford one? They read the same thing that we all did. This guy is steadily improving. He's a late bloomer. He's a guy who's clamoring for a chance, an opportunity. And he went right to work with each and every one of these pitchers to get to know them, to get to know what they like to do to know their nuances, to figure out, hey, can you pitch backwards? Can you pitch up in the zone? Where are you more comfortable when you're behind in the count, when you're ahead of the count? Where are you trying to exploit weaknesses? And you can see the comfort level of these pitchers. It's palpable. You you look at the games and you look at these guys, there's no panic. And they don't have to rely on overthrowing their fastball. They can move the ball around the strike zone. They can throw, they can go soft early and then, you know, throw up in the zone, hard fastballs late. You really haven't seen having to stick to one kind of pattern. Case in point, you got a guy like DeGrom. Yes, he's the best pitcher in the galaxy, but he's struggling early on in Coors Field and you're starting to think, well, you know, maybe this is his kryptonite. And all it took was just, hey, probably a little talk there in the dugout. Let's try and get ahead with this. Let's, how are you feeling about which pitches you want to go with? And they were on the same page and in sync and nearly set a major league record, striking out nine in a row. You know, Tom Seaver has the 10 in a row. Oh, I wanted that so bad, Figgy. I wanted him to be tied with Seaver. You have the two goats of the Mets franchise at the top, but maybe it is apropos that, that the franchise remains at the top and holds his stake as the uh, record holder. Oh, yeah. They, you don't have to uh, sit back and say, oh, you know, I, I I should have had it. I wish I did it. I think Jake is going to have more opportunities. He has that type of stuff. And to have second fiddle to the franchise, it's no small task. He was just phenomenal. He just clicked it into another gear. Here's the thing. That was the first time we've actually seen emotion from Jacob deGrom in a long, long time. He's been so steady and like nothing bothers him. It wasn't the Rockies that really got to him. It was his own team's defense. Conforto's throw, right? Well, McNeil's miscue, of course. And as a pitcher, you're like, all right, that's an unearned run if he scores. But it was that the Rockies hit some pitches the home run pitch was a slider down that in at sea level, it bounces, he swings over it, strike three. It stayed up just enough. Tip your hat, he went down and got this pitch almost on his knees, the way he lifted it off the ground, and it just stayed fair. And of course, it's a home run. But I remember watching that throw by Conforto, and we keep talking about Conforto, about there's little things slipping in his game. To me, that moment was where he kind of took an at-bat back with him, and it's a shallow fly ball. This guy's got a good arm. He's an accurate arm. And he took for granted that this guy who he doesn't know, there's not a lot of scouting report on the base runner at the time, will he go on me? And the guy took off and he kind of double clutched, 
Then he had to hurry the throw. The throw was wide. That guy should have been out by 40 feet. It just should have been a no-brainer. You catch it, you throw it, you get rid of it. And if he goes, he's out by 40 feet. It seemed like he stumbled or something. It was just a bizarre, like, double clutch. I'm like, what are you doing? It was. It was because he kind of wanted to deke him a little bit. Like, he's not going to go. But if I deke him, he might get off the base. And then the guy just took off running. And then he actually had to throw the ball. And that's what you never want to do. You want to do your job, control what you can control. You can't control whether the runner goes or not, but get the ball, get rid of it. It's a shallow fly ball. That's the play. As an outfielder, you are begging for. Let me be running in on this ball. I make a nice, easy catch, and I get to hose this guy at home plate. And he had the double clutch, and you saw Jacob standing back behind home plate. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing right there? He yelled he into his glove. It makes it, yeah, it makes it, it makes it a three-one ball game, and you're thinking, man, this is really messed up. Like this, this is how his year is going. This is really messed up. And they pulled him out of it. That's where you started to look at this team and say, this is a team that can be special because they didn't give up. Daniel Bard came in throwing 98 all over the place. They made him work. They hit the mistakes and they just kept pounding it on. I wanted to kill Gary DeSarcina. I was like, why is he sending him? It'll be second and third, nobody out. Hell of a slide back on Mora. And that's what's been fun, too, thinking about this team. It's like each night, each game, there is someone different that plays a pivotal role. You look up and down the lineup, besides Brandon Nemo, almost nobody is hitting. But together, the contributing scoring runs, having pinch runners, a defensive replacement, you know, a, a big a big out in relief. There's a different hero every night or heroes. And I think that's what makes a fun team that, you know, wants to win a title is a guy like Albert Almora playing a big part to save Jacob DeGrom. Because let's be real, Vicky, 99 times out of 100, the Mets lose that game for DeGrom, but they came back late. Not only did they win, they got him the win, and they shut the door. That's a game the Mets always lose. So that was a fun rally, and I know it was only seven innings. All these postponements, Mets fans, you got to be thrilled. I mean, the Mets' seven-inning games are gold for the Mets. Let's make every game seven innings. <laughs> no, I, I tell you what. You go seven innings, and you have these guys, the starters, and uh, Stroman, uh, DeGrom, the top-level guys that want to be out there and have the stuff to you know, really push pedal to the metal for seven innings, that's great. I do like the fact that Diaz gets in there and he just goes right through them. So 17 strikeouts, strikes out the side, he's 101, sliders biting off, and they're being very careful of missing around the strike zone, especially in Coors Field. That slider stays up, you know, it can go a long way. We saw that in the ninth inning today where the ball gets hit out to left field and just enough to stay in the ballpark. But I still had the utmost confidence that Diaz is, exploiting the fastballs up and in on the lefties was just not going to be hittable that 99 up in the zone and he's gotten that feel he's gotten that rhythm back of what he was in 2019 or i should say you know when before the mets got him in 2018 2019 you know he struggled because he didn't feel like he had that command of that slider again right now he's looking very complete he's looking extremely confident and he's the guy you want to go in and finish the game at the end he had one stumble here thus far and with all the stops and starts and everything else you know once there gets to be some kind of routine and normalcy i really like the way this team matches up and we got good news on the horizon you got carrasco coming back early that's going to be a nice addition into the middle of that rotation right now everything's on the up and up and these guys are will wake up they won't be batting a uh, conforto will not be batting 200 all year long mcneil's not going to be batting 200 all year long nimble's not going to be batting 600 all year long but you're going to have these guys actually you know being able to do the little things and it is a sack fly here and there it is a pinch hit by vr down the line uh double they're learning their roles and and that's a good thing and it, for all the times that we jump all over luis rojas 
there wasn't a lot of panic in Luis Rojas, you know, this weekend in Colorado, where that happens to a lot of managers who try to overmanage, try to do tricky things. They just played the game and they played the game the right way. And so it was a nice series to watch. They've won the last, what, five out of six. And they're playing really good baseball. And I want more of it. That's all I want. I want more of it. And it was nice to see Lindor get that big hit Saturday as well, because he's obviously, you know, he's hitting under 200. He hasn't been great. I'm not really worried about it, but that was a clutch hit. VR had the clutch hit. Almora had the clutch slide, and, you know, they got contributions. And listen, Edwin Diaz, you're right. He's locating his pitches better. His stuff is electric. I mean, the Rockies had no break on Saturday from 101 mile an hour to Grom to 101 mile an hour Edwin Diaz. I mean, you cannot slow down from there. And I, I tweeted this. We got to have Timmy Trumpet and Blaster Jacks on the show because the fans want it. We got to give the people what they want. We got to play the trumpets. I played the clarinet for seven years and the tenor sax for years. So I don't know the trumpet, but we might have to bring on a trumpeteer on the podcast to play the show because the copyrights, we can't play it. But, you know, it's something of that music. And now he didn't get it in Colorado, but get it in City Field. You talk about his oh, one playing in his, Oh, it's playing in his head. Yeah. It's absolutely it, playing in his head. He's got the Walkman on with the internal headphones. He's got the, he's got AirPods hidden somewhere playing it as he's uh, right. walking out to the mound. But, you know, and... And how about DeGrom and Stroman? I mean, if you want to talk about a theme song for the top of the rotation, and now Carrasco's joining, and I'm not worried about Luke Casey because, like you said, Carrasco's back. He's going to get two more starts. Went 10 days without pitching. His first start is in 30-degree Colorado. I mean, it's not an easy task to ask this guy to come out there. So I wasn't fine with that. Let's never see Jacob Barnes again. I mean, I'm, he, he is just awful. Barnes not so noble. But DeGrom and Strowman, I mean, do-do-do-do-do. It's bad to the bone, bro. DeGrom, do-do-do-do-do. He'll strike you out, do-do-do-do-do. And Strowman, he will scream and shout, do-do-do-do-do. He sees your tweets, do-do-do-do-do. He'll shut you up, do-do-do-do-do. You tweet at him, he'll grab his cup, do-do-do-do-do. I agree. Those two right now are, are, it's amazing to watch two different styles of pitchers. One guy who can just dominate with pure electric force of his velocity, his stuff, his repertoire. He's unhittable at times. And then you have somebody who relies on soft contact, relies on getting contact and a ton of ground balls. And it relies on the defense. So kudos to the defense for stepping up and making the plays that they have to make. What I love about this team and what I love about having Lindor, even though he hasn't hit the way, you know, we know he's capable of yet, his defense, the ordinary plays are made to look ordinary. It's not about the extraordinary plays. It's not about the highlight plays. Rosario was a highlight play guy. Even Jimenez was a highlight play guy. We'd see them in highlight plays. But it's the guys that make the highlight play look ordinary where it's not a video Oh, wow. Look at what he did. You know what he did? He did what he always does. That ball that gets hit and his glove can get to it. He then makes the solid throw to finish off the play. We saw tons of double plays in Coors Field. We saw tons of steady handed defense. Now what you're looking for is it's to be contagious. J.D. Davis is back. That's another guy that we said has to have a really good season for the Mets to go far. You know, you want him to get uh, the reps that he needs to get back in there. He had a nice RBI single earlier today. So you, you love to see all these little pieces coming together. And just to think still on the horizon, Lugo and Syndergaard, and just keep playing solid baseball all the way through and get back to warm weather, hopefully. Yeah, and in, you know, in two to three weeks, DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco, Walker, Peterson. 
And Walker's been fantastic. And the Mets will face the Cubs this week, starting Tuesday, with Taiwan Walker taking the hill against Jake Arrieta, then Peterson versus Davies, and DeGrom versus Trevor Williams. Before the Mets return home for a little five-game homestand, they'll play the Nationals for three. And the Boston Red Sox, who have been a surprising story so far in the season, uh, in that AL East, where they were supposed to be at the bottom, Yankees at the top, and now it's a little flip-flop. So we'll enjoy that while we can. And we'll see, because Tuesday might get rained or snowed out, but at this point, I hope it does, because seven innings are the Mets' <laughs> bread and butter. Give me all the seven-inning Little League games you could, and I'm in for hey, that. Hey, minor league, minor league. Minor league, yeah. League. Let's push league. the mound back. On, I mean, what the hell is going on with that, bro? I mean, is that going to really bring more fans to baseball? Give me a break. You're listening to Amazing But True here. Glenn Close is joining us in a few minutes. Vicky, I, I stopped at the Bronx on Saturday. I was offered a free ticket. Had an is open- there nothing? you won't do yeah no i mean <laughs> mud, <laughs> mud race jake you want i got tickets to the mud race you want to go oh sure why not i mean listen i've got a year in a pandemic i am mr social agenda extrovert find me at the gamer event so you took that away from me for a year you know invite me to the hamster race uh in the bronx and i'll and i'll be you know throw a dollar on the on the green hamster to beat the blue hamster but uh, i went to yankee stadium saturday and I turn my head. Listen, first I get in, and they have Benny Hanna at the game. So right now, I got to say, the Yankee Stadium food has gotten the edge over City Field. But I felt like I was in one of those escape rooms. Finding your way around Yankee Stadium, and I've been before, but I really, truly realized it the other day when I tried to get around. Holy cow, in the words of Phil Rizzuto, it is hard to get around Yankee Stadium. I mean, it is colossal. There's no signs. I, I needed oxygen going up the ramps. I felt like I was at Shea Stadium trying to get to the middle level. I walked up five ramps. My step count was through the roof, and uh, it was I couldn't breathe. So they got to fix that. But they did have Benihana. I'm in line at Benihana. Excited about that. Turn my head, and the first thing I see is a raise home run ball to right field. And I'm like, opposing home run ball? This sounds familiar. This deja vu. Hits the homer. Guy catches it in right field. I didn't see who caught it, but they ended up on the cover of the newspaper. And the guy who catches it doesn't throw it back. And I thought I had a bad figgy when Jazz Chisholm hit it in my area and I didn't throw it back. 10,000 Yankee fans. Boo! Boo! Throw it back! People wanted him thrown out of the game. It is another dimension at Yankee Stadium. They literally harass you. And I got harassed by like one drunk in the Coke corner. But this is 10,000 people who want you out of the stadium for not throwing it back. And then I've come to find out, he tweets me, Chris Shear in our pinstripe pod, Yankees host, that it was Zach Hample, that freaking loser. That son of a bitch <laughs> caught the ball, didn't throw it back. He's got 8,000 baseballs in his bathroom alone. He's got 10,000 in the living room and 5,000 in his den. Didn't throw it back. I hope he gave it to a kid, but Figgy, maybe he's a nice guy. Maybe his, his mother likes him, but he kept the ball. But the bleacher and, uh, creatures, the bleacher creatures do not like him. And that's that's not a, a group of, of, of persons you want to piss off, especially in the Bronx after a Yankee game and a Yankee loss again to the Tampa Bay Rays. They're going looking for that guy. He better get out of there early because they're going to take that ball from him. And they might let him keep it, but he might not be able to find it in a cavity of his. Uh, that's for sure. What I realized is that home fans do not like if you don't at least give the ball away to a kid. Oh, I hope he did. I don't know. I don't know. He might have gave it away to a kid. We don't know. That's that's the only saving grace you can do is you give it away to a kid. Okay, they might might let you slide. They let you live if you give it away to a kid. But 
if you go out there and you catch a ball and you just and you're that guy, oh man, there's not too many people that are more hated around the game of baseball than that guy. Well, would Glenn Close give the ball back if she caught? Well, she would never be sitting in those bad of a seats. I mean, she'd be in a suite or right behind home plate, um, singing the national anthem. But would Glenn Close throw it back? The iconic actress from all the movies you remember, from Guardians of the Galaxy, is one of the obscure ones she's been in. Hook. Dangerous Liaisons, I know you love that one. Fatal Attraction is one of your favorites. She's been evil. She's been nice. She's been mean. She's been Cruella DeVille. And she is a diehard New York Mets fan. And she joins us next, right here on Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True is one of the most iconic actresses of all time. She also happens to be a Mets fan because the greats are always Mets fans. She's the winner of three primetime Emmy Awards, three Tony Awards, three Golden Globe Awards, been nominated for eight Academy Awards in 2016. She was inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame. Time named her one of the 100 most influential people in the world. And she was just nominated for Best Supporting Actress for her performance in Hillbilly Elegy. And the Oscars are coming up this week on April 25th. You've seen her in every movie from 101 Dalmatians to Fatal Attraction to, yes, Guardians of the Galaxy, one of our favorites, <laughs> to Hook as well. So let's give a warm welcome to the great Glenn Close. Glenn, Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, welcome to Amazing But True. How are you? Thank you. I am well. I'm really happy to be here with you guys. Listen, we love having a Mets fan on. We love having someone that was in Hook. I mean, one of my favorite childhood <laughs> movies, 101 Dalmatians, <laughs> classics. I saw you on Jesus and Marrow, one of my favorite shows on Showtime. This is a Mets show, so let's start with the New York Mets because the team yeah. is exciting right now. We have a new owner. Things are going up. You have to be in good spirits being a Mets fan for the first time in a while. Yes. I, I think you can't be a Mets fan unless you have, you know, kind of in your DNA, you have uh, hope and enthusiasm. <laughs> Do you like the projections of this team? Do you like, uh, you know, the chances of you know, the Wilpons are gone. We got an owner. I think there's a lot of excitement around the fan base. Um, I know I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. I have not been back to New York in over a year, and I, I will be coming back in May. So I can't. It, the baseball is so much a part of New York, and the Mets are iconic, and I adore the team, and um, I'm very, very excited about what might happen this season. Hi, Glenn. This is Nelson Figueroa. I have to know what made you want to be a Met fan and stay a Met fan. That's the most important part. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, I became, my grandmother, Close, was a huge Yankees fan. In fact, it's hilarious. She needle-pointed a pillow for Phil Rizzuto. And when she didn't get a thank you note, she somehow got him on the phone. <laughs> but anyway, it said, why didn't you give me a thank you note? But anyway, that was Granny Close. So I would go over to her house and we'd watch Yankee games. And it was a time when George Steinbrenner was really overpowering. And I just got so annoyed by how he was affecting the team that I said, you know, I don't want to watch this anymore. I'm going to go over to the Met. So I went over to the Met. And it was fantastic. And because I was dating an actor called Len Carew, who is a really great 
friend of Rusty Stout. Len was, uh, had a great voice, and he was asked uh, numerous times to sing the anthem. And then one day they said, well, why don't you try it? And I said, oh, God, okay. And so for the next uh, you know, decade, I guess, I would test my courage by running out on that field and singing the anthem in front of all the, the wonderful fans. It's not for the faint of heart, but it became some, something that I really loved. And then I sang twice during the 86 when they won the pennant. And that was one of the thrills of my life. You sang what, game one? And then what was the other game? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I saw the game one remember. video. I did see the game one video. Maybe it was game six yeah. or seven, the end of it. But uh, that, that yeah. was spe- uh, definitely a special one, one of the greatest World Series of all time. It really was. And, and they were that kind of team. You know, they would come from behind and they would do these incredible plays. They were like jazz. You know, it was, they were wonderful. And um, I hosted the party before the, before the World Series. So I think I, I think I sang, I sang one of the, one of the, one, the anthems during the series sometime. I don't remember which game. Yeah. That's got to be pressure packed. I know for world renowned actress like yourself, you have your lines, you have times to study, you have, you can cut at any time and do the scene over. I don't feel like that was a good take. You only get one shot when you're singing the national anthem. How nerve wracking was that? I know. I know. And whenever I see anybody, usually great, great talent sing it, I get, I still get nervous thinking how it's a hard song to sing because if you start too low, one time I started so low, it was a joke and, and it sounds, I, I can't remember if I started over or not, but it ended up, I, I did David Letterman and he, and he showed it on the show. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, because you don't have any, usually you don't have any accompaniment. So you have the mode in your, in your head and you go out and you don't hear yourself over the you know, loudspeakers until you're at least a whole phrase into the song. So, um, yeah, it's great. It's very exciting. 2011, you had a quick recovery because I saw the video. I think there was a note you, you, you may have missed on, and then you recovered and came back for a strong ending. So that's when you see the nerves <laughs> come through. Yeah, so I was acting like a Met. <laughs> uh, I came back well, with... <laughs> well put. Well played, well played. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I, I came back for the celebration of that team, the winning 86 team. Wasn't there a celebration? Oh, yeah. every yeah. They had the 20th. They had the 30th. It's yeah. one of the most iconic teams. I grew up a Met fan here in Brooklyn, New York, then having a chance to play for the Mets, of course. To me, it's, it's been a dream come true to now live out my experiences through people in other forms of different industries. So now we're talking to getting a chance to talk to you. What are some of the moments that you remember most vividly? And they don't have to be the iconic, of course, you know, the Jesse Orozco throwing up of the glove. But there are some special moments that, you know, just yeah. stay with you <laughs> as a Met fan. I think the moments I love the most was going out before the game and the guys were warming up and being able to say hi to bring some kids with me. You know, my daughter and, and some of her friends. Um, that to me was what baseball is all about because they be, they're heroes. You know, they're heroes to our kids and and they're incredible athletes. And I've always found it a huge thrill, you know, an honor to to meet them and then to watch them play. So yeah, it's that that it's also <laughs> you know going from backstage. I don't know what you call it, the back hallways. Um, yeah, yep. walking out in, it, yeah, walking out to the field. It's the moment, you know. <laughs> it will never get old. Yeah, it, there's something mystical about a ball field. I was really lucky to be in The Natural, which is one of the favorite movies I ever was in. And we spent a whole summer up in Buffalo at the stadium there. And 
there was something magical about it, you know, even though there were actors, a lot of them had, had played ball um, professionally at some point in their life. But Redford, man, he loved baseball. He was good. So I that that to me, again, kind of underscored my deep love of the game. I remember when I was really little looking at a black and white TV with games that seemed to go on forever. And I couldn't understand why people thought baseball was so fabulous. And now everything about it, you know, going into the stadium, sitting into your seat, hearing, you know, be a here, be a here. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> and getting the dogs, getting the dogs are handed. This year it's strange because they don't have that. It's, you know, because of COVID, I, you know, I've already been to four games, four of the five. I, I can't live without, I live in Astoria, you know, I'm 15 minutes from the stadium. So uh, they don't have the hot dog vendors. It's a strange feeling. No beer here, hot dog oh. here, cracker jacks. Yeah. It, it's all, uh, you know, you got to yeah. pay, pay with a card, no cash, no, no vendors. It's all the stands. They closed a bunch of the stands. So it's a kind of an eerie feel. I mean, it's great to be at the ballpark. I mean, after taking it away from me last year, um, it's incredible yeah. to be there. But it, it, it's a strange feeling. Glenn Close is with us. You can follow her on Instagram at Glenn Close. Um, I know recently you just celebrated your 50th birthday. That's right. 50th birthday for Glenn Close. Yes. A- aging gracefully. Actually, it was my 25th. <laughs> and, I mean, you're still killing it. You're still getting nominations for Oscars. How long are you going? Are, are we going till you go in the grave? Like, are we just doing it the rest of your life? I mean, you're obviously still great, but have you thought about how many more years you got? I don't. I don't because there's so many things to do. There's so many, you know, I, I honestly feel, it sounds weird, that I've scratched, only scratched the surface. Uh, you know, I remember my mom saying when she was in her late 70s that she feels felt like she was 18. And I, and I really feel, if I could stay healthy, that... Uh, you know, I, I want to keep going because what's the alternative? <laughs> yeah, very good point. <laughs> Young Jake has made a mistake already in his baseball fandom. Just the other day on Saturday, a home run got hit into the Coke corner where he was sitting. He caught the ball. It was hit by a visiting fan off of Jacob deGrom. If you were in his shoes, what would Glenn Close do? Would she throw the ball back or would she hold on to the ball and put it all over social media that he caught a ball from the visiting club. I would probably throw the ball back. Oh, come on, yes. Glenn. You're killing me, Glenn. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. That's a real fan. Thank you so much. It was much. my first ball ever. Out of 400-plus games, I had never gotten a ball. And my first one is a oh. home run. I mean, I couldn't throw it. I got heckled the entire game to throw it back. And I said, no, I've spent thousands and thousands on this stupid team. And they've done me <laughs> dirty my whole life. And I still come here and support them. And it's the first ball I got. I'm keeping it. So I'm sorry, Glenn. No way I was throwing that back. That's okay. You know, we're he's, he's too young to realize the mistake that he made, but I appreciate you giving him the three special words that he needs to learn to live by. Throw it back. No way. That's, that's, a, that's a Cubs thing, Glenn. That's a Cubs fan thing that got passed along to other stadiums. I you think know, I'm not good. sophisticated enough in the game to know about that. Yep. That's just, like see, that's just reaction. That's her gut instinct. No, no. <laughs> yeah. My, that was my gut instinct. But I, not need, not being there, I, I probably, you know, yeah, I don't know. I will. <laughs> But um, it's tough in the moment. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's coming at me. I I gotta get it. I mean, it was my. I had to have that. Well, 
I just, just because I, I am 18 and I can't remember people's names. What was our, the great batter, the guy who was one of the top batters? Mike Piazza? 86. Gary Carter? Yeah, Gary Carter. There was, who was, uh, Keith Hernandez, Daryl Strawberry. Okay, I'm thinking of, this is where you're saying, like, she really is a Met fan? <laughs> Santana. Uh, I, go, I, go, I go blank. Um, Dykstra. Who was the guy who was married to the wonderful golf? Uh, Ray Knight. Ray Knight. Ray Knight. Ray Knight. There you go. So I have one of Ray Knight's back. There you go. Ah, he was MVP of the series. Yeah, See? it's beautiful. So you have a piece, you have a piece of memorabilia. And she didn't throw it on and the field, Figgy. She kept it. She kept that bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah keep I that have bet. the bet. I think he gave it to me, and then I have some balls that were that were autographed by everybody. What what movie in your career, Glenn, are you most proud of? Oh boy. Oh gosh. I I that's a really hard question to ask. Because my main goal in my work is to be proud of what I do. Then it doesn't matter literally to me what people say about it. And, and, you know, if all we can hope for is to do our very best. And if you know that you've done your best, that's where I I can find kind of peace and and, uh, and real, it feeds my soul. So, so many of the things that I've done, I've done with a, incredible group of people and each one has been an experience unto itself proud um you have a top three maybe do you have three big ones yeah i i guess i love dangerous liaisons i loved um a fatal attraction i mean you know that was uh even though she's considered kind of the, the one of the great villains of the 20th century but um hey you gotta be great be great for something that character I, was I did a movie called Albert Knobs, which a lot of people didn't see, but I developed it, co-wrote it, um, about a woman who was existing existing as a butler in Victorian, in a hotel in Victorian Dublin, and she was disguised for her in order to survive because there was a lot of poverty, terrible poverty in Ireland. And if you didn't have a job, uh, especially of a woman, you ended up in the poorhouse or on the street or, you know, so, and I, I'm proud of that movie because I love that character because I think there are a lot of people who feel like they're invisible in the world. And some of them want to stay invisible for the very reasons that, that Albert wanted to, and others feel marginalized, which for us is the worst thing that can happen to a human being. You know, one thing that's great about sport like baseball is that you're part of this great community. You're part of this great, the fans sitting in the stands. And even though we're not back there yet, you can, I can feel that community. I can feel the people who are united in their love for a certain team and a certain game. And that's really important to us. We need that connection. So Albert Knobs is probably the one I'm most proud of because it was a labor of love and something I created with a great team, but it, I was the major engine for that. I mean, we were talking uh, before the show about you playing gutless in hook. How did that transpire? <laughs> and a lot of people didn't realize for a while that it was you. <laughs> I, Annie was three, my daughter, and we were visiting the set because I knew uh, Robin from the world according to Garp and Steven Spielberg, you're just hanging out there and Spielberg was there and he looked at me and said, do you want to be a pirate? <laughs> And I said, sure. <laughs> so a couple of days later, there I was in the makeup chair. They're putting chest hair on me and a beard. And it was great. 
I, I thought I looked a little bit like Charlton Heston. <laughs> Strong feature. <laughs> the, script, the, script girl, the script girl hit on me. Nobody knew when I was on the set that I was who I was. They all <laughs> thought I was a guy. <laughs> that that today, that's like that could be what, a, YouTube, a YouTube video like Glenn Close dresses up as, as pirate, and it actually was, and people didn't realize. Well, yeah, to be put in the boo-boo box. <laughs> I screamed so loud I lost my voice for about two days. <laughs> And then what about Cruella DeVille taking on a life of its own? I mean, 101 Dalmatian, if, I mean, I'm 30, so I was like a child then when that came out. I mean, that is going to be stand the, the taste of time, task of time. What's test the of time. Test of test time. Test of time. The Sorry. Test. It's gonna, the test of time. Yeah, it's going to stay the test of time. I mean, that was one of the most iconic characters, movies ever. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, she's a great witch. You know, she's basically a fairy tale witch, and and th- those are fantastic characters because they're scary and they they threaten children. And in a, in a traditional fairy tale, it's the children who are threatened, the children who who are who um, have to be rescued. In Dalmatians, it's the Dalmatian puppies, but it's the same kind of thing. And I, the meaner and hor- horrible, more horrible I could be in some ways, the funnier it was. But I used to do the laugh for kids but I, I don't anymore because it makes them cry. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. What, what is it about playing these strong female characters that brings out the best in you? Well, they're usually pretty fascinating. And I'm not like that in life. I'm actually kind of a reclusive wuss in life. I'm not a wuss. I'm not a wuss. <laughs> you talked but, yourself out of that. Hold on. I'm definitely not a wuss. I'm just thinking, you know, I'm, still hike and but uh yeah there's you know uh, so many i i could say 99 percent of my of, of my actor friends are more introverted than extroverted because i think if you were out there all the time you wouldn't have anything left for your work so for those of us who kind of spent a lot of time in our heads it's a huge thrill and relief to play a character that's larger than life or that is you know like patty Hughes and damages is just a killer. A lot of times they're they're they've been you know called bitches or but then I say well they're just acting like a guy. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's always problematic when you have a woman who's who's being strong and decisive and sometimes ruthless. But um, yeah, I, I find them to be fascinating because it, I think in reality they're very few. The only really evil person I've played was Cruella. Otherwise, I have been able to find my common humanity with, with all the different women that I've played. And I think that's really important because then you don't judge them. You can, you can play them truthfully, authentically, if you don't judge them. And you can find where, where you can their humanity. Yeah, that's great insight into what it's like to be a professional on that level. Because for at professional athletes, a lot of professional athletes deal with not being comfortable in large crowds or being in front of large audiences. Even though they play professionally in front of 46,000 people, they are more introverted and they don't like to be. Zach Greinke famously had to take a year off from baseball to deal with his social anxiety. So that's amazing to think about that to perform at such a high level, you really have to take yourself out of your comfort zone and become that character. And you have done it, I mean, excellently throughout your career. Yeah, I've always been amazed. And I guess it's one of the, you guys who who are on the top teams in the world, that level of being able to produce in front of a, a, a of crowds that are screaming and yelling and stamping and, and music, that always has just amazed me and 
all I can, you know, when I try to put myself in your shoes, I guess you almost don't hear them sometimes because you're concentrating. But it, it must be shocking when you first go out in a field with a with a sizable crowd. How do you get over that? Uh, you don't. Honestly, it's something that drives you. It's something that motivates you. And at the same time, you kind of learn to deal with the, the moment at hand and what you've trained yourself to do. And then you hope it's adulation after you come off the field. And as you're walking to the dugout, you learn to kind of let it all soak in. And if it's booze, <laughs> you kind of try to wear that, you know, that suit of armor and let it bounce off you because, you know, tomorrow you have to do the same thing again. That's really incredible because, I mean, on, on stage, you get that immediate reaction. Film, you don't. You know, usually it's, it's at least a year before a film comes out. And I don't read reviews because they are too hurtful. They, they affect, they, you know, you just, I don't want to put myself through it. So, but you feel every day, every time you play with that instant vocal reaction. And that, you know, that have, have when you first started, were there some players that, that really mentored you about that and helped you get through that? Uh, honestly, there was. Uh, I think it, was, it wasn't necessarily the great players because they were so used to success. It was how you dealt with failure. And so players who had been bounced around or played for several different teams, you know, they would tell you that sometimes it's out of your control. You have no control what happens. I could have a good game uh, or what I felt was a decent game and I could get sent to the minor leagues, released, fired, traded, whatever. I have no control over that. So there have been several key people who have kind of taken me under their wing and, you know, let me know. You have to be able to control what you can control, and that's it. If you focus on all the other things, then you would never be able to focus on task at hand. And so that was something that really helped me um, stay around the game of baseball for such a long time. Glenn Close might be the new co-host of the show. I mean, she's questioning Nelson Figueroa. You love it. She's the interviewer. And if you think I'm going to stop answering her, no chance. I love this. That's really fascinating to me. You know, I mean, so much of so much of baseball is mental, and and, and everything's mental. I, I I think you go out. It, uh, the first job I had, there was a English actress who had a, a minor part, but we were sitting together, and she happened. I don't know how we got, got around it. But he said you should never com- compare your career to anyone else's because there will always be somebody you think you're better than, and there will always be somebody that you envy if you if you do that and that it's challenging to keep your mind uh away from that but um it it was wonderful advice you have to own your choices and um just do the best you can with the chances that you get and then hopefully um you'll move from one possibility to another and all of a sudden you'll have a life that uh you can look back and look at all the choices you make glenn close a legendary actor producer now motivational speaker here on the amazing but true podcast (laughs) she does it all folks um you know you'll be nominated Uh, oscars are sunday april 25th check it out on netflix hillbilly elegy glenn we hope to see you at city field perform a national anthem if we do we'll have to link up we'll get we'll get a couple hot dogs we'll get the uh you know hopefully they bring back the steak sandwiches at city field get the good food and uh we'll call it a day and we we look forward to that time where we do see you at city field again singing the national anthem i would love that so i'll let you know when i'm around when you're around and maybe we could do that i'd love that all right glenn we appreciate the time thanks for coming on Thank you so much. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks, Glenn. Take care. Let's go Mets. (laughs) Bye-bye. Go Mets. Okay, Miracle Mets. Okay, bye. And that'll say goodnight to episode 44, the Jay Payton, one of my favorites, edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. 
Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts, please. And gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday after the first few games of the Mets Cubs series. Enjoy the games in Chicago and hope Mother Nature holds up. And as always, let's go Mets.